Good evening. How are we doing? Doing all right. Doing well. Awesome. Well, welcome to Genesis. Um, I'm so glad that you guys are here tonight. Um, I'm really excited for tonight. Uh, I feel like God's got big things in store for us, as always. And so, with that said, uh, as you guys may recall, uh, about this time last month, Hurricane Matthew was making its way to the coast, and Charleston was in like this state of panic. And so we all, you know, a lot of us evacuated to higher ground, went inland, and uh, that was about this time last month. And so me and Emily evacuated, and we went to Rock Hill, South Carolina, to stay with her aunt and uncle. And her uncle happened to be a FBI agent, or he used to be an FBI agent. And uh, yeah, so he was, he was into some pretty serious stuff, and he has a lot of cool stories. And one of the stories he told us blew my mind, and uh, one morning, we were sitting around their dinner table having coffee and talking, and he said, hey, let me, let me tell you the story really quick. I was like, okay. He said, one time they were on a case, him and his partner, and they were trying to find information about this guy, and this guy had spent some time seeing a psychologist, this doctor, and so they wanted to go talk to the doctor, and so they went to Cochrane, Georgia, which is where the, the doctor practiced, and they were going to have a deposition with the doctor and his lawyer. And so they get to the office of the doctor and they walk in and they sit down and they start asking him questions. And they get to the point where they realize that he went to medical school a little bit later in life than most people do. And so they were kind of trying to figure out what he did before he was a doctor. And so they asked him, so, hey, what, what did you do before you were a doctor? And the lawyer looked at the doctor and he said, why don't you, know, why don't you go ahead and tell him what you did? And so the doctor doctor said, okay, I'm, and as he was about to say it, the partner of Emily's uncle said, wait a minute, you're that guy, you're, you're that, and he's like, yeah, that's, that's me, and when he told me who this guy was, it blew my mind. I want to tell you who he is, but I'm not going to quite yet. First of all, I want to introduce a topic tonight, and we're talking about Regret. Tonight we are talking about regret, and regret is something that we have all probably experienced at one time or another. Uh, there's also a good chance that you are probably living in a state of regret even at this very moment. And it's not a fun thing, right? It's not fun. It's actually very stressful and very frustrating. A poet beautifully said, uh, of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are it might have been. And we know that to be true. And so tonight I wanted to talk about regret because I believe it is one of the biggest causes of traffic in our walk with Christ. And nobody likes traffic, right? Traffic slows you down. Traffic keeps you from getting where you want to be. Traffic is frustrating and aggravating and annoying. And regret also does that. Regret slows you down. Regret keeps you from being where you want to be. Regret is annoying and aggravating. But the beautiful thing is, is that the God that we serve is not a God who reminds us of our past but instead sets our eyes upon the future. And regret is usually felt over something that you either did do or something that you didn't do, right? You either regret a past sin, a past mistake, or maybe you regret a missed opportunity. And so at one time or another, we've all felt this feeling of regret over one of those two things. And so for the next few minutes, I want us to focus on these two sides of regret and see what the word of God has to say about it. So with that said, has anyone in here ever felt regret over something they didn't do? Like maybe it was a missed opportunity. 
Maybe you missed, missed what was seemingly a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Maybe you think you could have made better grades in school. Maybe you think you could have performed better at a job. Maybe you regret how you handled situations in the past. Then maybe you should have said something. Maybe you regret not sharing the gospel with somebody who's not a part of your life anymore. Whatever your story or moment of regret may be, it evokes this disheartening feeling. And your mind starts to be filled with, man, if I, if I would have just done this, or if I would have just done that, that I would go back in time and I would change it all if I had a time machine. But as we know from Interstellar, time cannot go backwards. So, I heard about one man, though, from Emily's uncle who probably wished that it would. So back to that doctor's office. He's sitting there talking to the man, and they just asked him, yeah, tell, tell me what you were before you were a doctor. And the man said, oh, I'm, and he said, oh, I know you. I know who you are. And he goes, yeah, that's me. My name's Ed Roberts, and I invented the first personal computer. Steve Jobs and Bill Gates were my employees, and they stole the idea out of my garage. And they said, tell me you didn't patent that? Like, I wake up every single morning, and I look in the mirror, and I regret never making that decision. You want to talk about regret? I mean, he invented the first personal computer, something that has revolutionized our life today. It's a billion-dollar industry. He let it walk right out the door. And so to me, when now when I think of the word regret, I can't help but think of this man. I mean, if there was like regret magazine, he's on the front, like he's on the cover. I mean, you can't get much worse than that. And the thing is, you may not have missed out on patenting the first personal computer, but you've regretted something else in your life. And to you, that is very real. And it is just as real as this man's story. But if you're anything like me, getting over these regrets is very challenging. And if you're anything like me, you're probably having a lot of trouble getting over these regrets. And if you're anything like me, you've probably let it hinder you from what, you probably let the past hinder you from things you would do in your future, or sometimes even worse, some things you do in the present, that it affects you so much. And so with all that said, how are we as Christians supposed to handle regret over things that we didn't do or opportunities that we missed? It's a great question. So tonight what I want to do is look to the writings of a man who I'm sure had his share of regrets, the Apostle Paul. And so with me, would you uh, turn to Philippians 3? We'll get going there. Uh, the book of Philippians is Paul's God-inspired letter to the church at Philippi. Uh, the book of Philippians holds what's probably the most famous verse in Scripture, uh, and I'm sure it's the most tattooed verse in history. Uh, and you can probably, or you can see it on Steph Curry's shoes as well. So Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, but the other three chapters of this book are also very important. Uh, as Paul, you know, he talks about like spiritual maturity and progress in your faith and God's faithfulness and things like that. Um, and he also keep in mind he wrote this uh, while imprisoned for preaching the gospel. So we're going to read through this once and then break it down. This is Philippians 3.12 through 16. It'll be on the screen. Not that I've already obtained this or, are, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. 
And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So what is Paul saying here? Let's read verse 12 one more time. This is what it says. So the slide right before this one. It says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So that's a pretty humbling thing to say, right? So he's like straight up, up front saying, I didn't do this on my own and I could not have done this on my own. And this takes humility to admit. As we talked about last week, humility is so key in your walk with God and it takes humility to admit that you are not perfect. So let's move on. This is what it says next. It says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So straining forward to what lies ahead. He says the one thing that he does do is forget what lies behind and strains forward to what lies ahead. And that is a huge deal for us tonight because if you're eaten up inside due to regret, listen to what Paul says. And if you're sitting in here tonight and you think this message isn't gonna apply to you because you live life with no regrets and you have the no regrets tattoo and it just doesn't make sense to you that people would ever have regrets, this also applies to past successes as well because past success makes us very comfortable, right? So good or bad, whatever lies behind, move forward. But for the vast majority of us who struggle with regret, we have to let go of what lies behind. And so in a nutshell, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, if it lies ahead, let it lie there. But if it lies behind, let it die there. If it lies ahead, let it lie there. If it lies behind, let it die there. Like, yeah, you've got great things ahead of you, You're gonna get there eventually, but there's also a lot behind you, a lot in your past that you may regret, and he's calling you to to let that stuff go and to take your eyes off that rearview mirror and set them on the road ahead of you. And that is so important in our walk with Jesus. And let's let's keep reading and see how he closes out the section of this letter. He says, "Uh, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. He tells us to press on toward the prize of our calling. So in other words, he says to set your eyes on heaven. And as a Christian, that's a huge thing for us to do. That when we walk through our life to set our eyes on eternity, on heaven, on the ultimate prize of being with Jesus and being with our creator and the God that we spent our whole lifetime worshiping and praying to, that's the prize. And so we have to set our eyes off of what's behind us and instead look ahead to eternity. Look ahead to what's later down the road. And then he goes on to say that even if this doesn't make sense to you right now, God's going to reveal it to you. That even if it doesn't make sense, God will also reveal it to you and help you understand. So if it lies ahead, let it lie. If it lies behind, let it die. The thing is, if I were to ask us tonight and take a poll and say, okay, how many people in here regret something they didn't do versus regret something they did do, we probably see more people on the second half of that, that you regret a past sin, you regret a past mistake or a past word that you said or things that you think about and you're like, I cannot believe I did that. You ever like think about awkward middle school memories at night and you think like, oh no, you know, it's like, uh, okay, it's moments like that, okay, where you look back and you're like, oh, I cannot believe I did that. I think most of us would be in that boat tonight. And that's where we're going to go with this next. And I have a story really quick. So 
this is funny, so laugh with me, and um, I hope you think it's as funny as me. So here we go. Um, two weeks ago, Emily and I went on vacation to San Francisco, California, and while we were there, uh, it was an amazing time. It was, we made a lot of memories, something we'll never forget. It was great. Probably one of the funniest moments of the trip for me. Uh, it's funny now. It wasn't funny in the moment. But one of the funniest things that happened to us was a dinner that we had scheduled that week. And so basically we had scheduled, made a reservation for this dinner at this place called The Slanted Door, which was a Vietnamese restaurant. And I hope Emily doesn't get mad at me for telling you this. But she kept calling it Viet Money's. And I said, Emily, the United States of America did not go to war with Vietnam. We went to war with Vietnam. So it's Vietnamese, okay? So anyway, we, our reservation was at 8.45. So it's kind of late for dinner, but this is like a fancy restaurant and it's, and it's like high demand. And so it's hard to get a reservation at like a normal dinner time. And so we waited around to like 8.45 and we were like starving. Like we were like, oh my gosh, like this time is crawling by. All right, dinner time needs to come. And so we finally get sat down at the restaurant and we, uh, we were gonna split a meal. And so we, we split the entree and we both got our, like, our um, plate and we waited and it finally came. And you know those, like, those times where like, you're talking and then the food comes and because you're so hungry, you just don't talk for like a few minutes? Okay, so it was kind of like that. So it was just kind of quiet. But the thing was, right before we started eating, we had this sauce on the side. And I don't know anything about Vietnamese food. I don't know, you know, like I assumed that it was like soy sauce. You know, I mean, I don't know, it's whatever. So I thought it was soy sauce. And so I take it, and I'm like, cool, soy sauce. Pour it over everything. She takes it, soy sauce. Pours it over everything. Start eating, it's quiet. And all of a sudden, it hits me. And it feels like my mouth has been set on fire by hell itself. Like, and I look up at her, and by this time it had hit her too, and there was just this look of just fear and just not understanding what was happening. And I had this moment a while back, she was with me for this too, where I tried this really hot sauce at Tijuana Flats in Somerville, and I literally went to the bathroom and drank sink water because I was that desperate. This was like that, but kind of like, like worse. And so we looked at the bottom of uh, the cut of the so- sauce thing, and uh, there was like pepper seeds all on the bottom. And like straight up, we just poured hot sauce all over this gourmet meal that we had waited all day for, and it was just one of those moments where I was like, I cannot believe we did that. Like, I cannot believe I just took this gourmet meal and just psh, threw it on the floor, you know, like more or less. I was like, I can't, I can't eat this. Like, there's no way. I'm going to die. And, and so it was just, it was, it, was, it was terrible. And so anyway, obviously I have worse regrets in my life than that one, but I think you guys can relate that there are moments in your life where you think, I cannot believe I did that. I can't believe I said this or that. I can't believe I treated him or her like this or like that. And so there are two very prevalent stories in scripture that cover this. And uh, they're stories of regret that I want to discuss. Um, And the thing is that they have two very different endings. Uh, They involve two of the 12 disciples of Jesus, one by the name of Simon Peter and one by the name of Judas. And so we're going to talk about those two tonight. And uh, I want to start with the story of Judas. Um, It's a story that most of us have probably heard before, uh, but don't let it just, you know, be stale because you've heard it so many times. Um, And before I start reading this, I want to just throw this in there, and I thought thought this was interesting. 
So if you don't know, sorry, Tim, the Chicago Cubs are World Series champions, right? You guys heard about all that. Okay. So I was watching this interview with uh, this reporter who was talking about how so often us as like non-professional athletes, we watch these big games and we just assume that these superstar athletes are like just these superhumans that don't feel the moment, they don't feel these, the, uh, the emotions, they're just like, they got ice in their veins and they don't feel nervousness and they just go and do their thing. And she's like, actually, that's not really the case. That these guys feel the emotion, they feel the moment, they feel everything about it just like we would. And so I thought, man, what if we really applied that to scripture, right? Because so often we read the Bible and we think, oh, but that's Paul, man. Like, that's Peter. Like, these guys are like superhumans. These are heroes of the faith. Like, they're just on a different level than me. When actually, they were just as human as you and I. And they felt the moment, just like us. They felt the, the emotions and they felt the, the rawness of the situation, just like we would. And so keep that in mind as we, uh, as we read tonight of these, these stories. Uh, we're going to start reading in Matthew 27. And while you're turning there, uh, I want to get you up to speed with what's going on and kind of set the stage for what's happening. And so sit tight just for a second once you get there. Um, at this point, a lot of important events have happened up to Matthew 27. This is toward the end of Jesus' life. Uh, so at this point, his 12 disciples have seen him uh, do a lot of things in the past three years. They've seen him heal the blind, uh, give, or give sight to the blind, heal the sick. They've seen him raise the dead uh, from, you know, back to life. They've seen him do these amazing miracles. They've seen him walk on water. And several hours earlier to this point in Matthew 27, we see Judas approaching the authorities, uh, the people who had power in the region. And he approaches them because he knows they want Jesus dead. He says, look, I will sell him out to you. I am willing to do that for a price. So how much are you willing to pay me? And so they agree to pay him 30 pieces of silver, which is the equivalent of about $7,500, which is a very small price tag to put on a human life. There's actually a lot of mentions in the Old Testament about this amount of 30 pieces of silver where these prophets sarcastically say that it's a lot because it's really not in terms of the situation. And so Jesus was not worth much to Judas. Later on, after Judas has made these arrangements, we see the disciples, including Judas, eating dinner on the first day of Passover. And while they're eating, we see Jesus reclining at the table with them, and he opens probably the most infamous conversation in history. He looks at them, and he says, one of you will betray me. One of you will betray me. And then immediately, the whole table just kind of goes into this panic, like, oh, like, uh, it's not me, right? Like, I haven't done anything. Like, it can't be me. There's no way it's me. And then Jesus looks to Judas, or Judas, sorry, looks to Jesus. Judas looks at Jesus and he says, is it I, Rabbi? Is it me? And Jesus responds with, you have said so. In other words, is it? You tell me. And so if I'm one of the disciples sitting there, I start to freak out. I mean, like, everything that he said was going to happen is starting to happen. And this guy that I just spent three years with has now sold out this, the, the guy that we've been following for these three years. And there's just, there's such a moment happening here. Like, you've got to be kidding me, Judas. Like, you've got to be kidding me. This cannot be happening right now. I cannot believe this is happening. They proceed to take the first communion, and then they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Judas tells his new friends, the, the chief priest, that he will kiss the one who is Jesus. And so he walks up and he gives Jesus a kiss and Jesus is arrested. And after going through a, a little preliminary process, Jesus is given over to Pilate, 
who would decide his fate. And that's where we pick up in Matthew 27, verse 3. And we start to see the regret of Judas start to set in. So this is Matthew 27, 3 through 8. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. So Judas realizes what his decisions have caused. He's sold out an innocent man. He's got blood on his hands. And so all of a sudden, we see him change his mind. And he tries to give the money back. And he's like, I don't even want it anymore. And he's up just throwing it on the ground and takes off. And the people that handled the money, they couldn't do anything with it because, like the verse said, it was blood money. And Judas, he takes off. He leaves. And then he finds a tree, finds a rope, ties a knot. Puts it around his head. And he hangs himself. And in the account of Acts, we see that he actually hung there until he started to decompose and his body burst open onto the ground. Regret can destroy you. Regret can destroy you. Judas, in his mind, was saying, I cannot believe I did that. I can't believe I put the hot sauce on the gourmet meal. I can't believe I would do such a thing. And he takes off and he lets this regret overwhelm and overtake him. And he retreats to what was the lowest point in his life. And we see the regret get the best of him tonight. And so if you're in here tonight and you're feeling regret and you're constantly feeling these regrets of sin or mistakes, let the story be a warning to you of what regret can do. And I'm not saying that it could or would take you to the extremes that it did for Judas. But what I'm saying is that it can eat you alive if you let it. It can destroy you if you let it. And it can make you immobile in your walk with Christ if you let it. But a beautiful thing about this story is that simultaneously, while all this is going on, another moment of regret takes place that will end very differently. And so if you're looking for the hope and the redemption inside a story of regret, it's found in the story of Peter. So remember the Cubs analogy. These are real people. This is a real moment, real emotions. We'll start to see this, start to make a little bit more sense. So let's turn back to Matthew 26. And while you're turning there, at this point, Judas had been given his silver. So he had gotten his payment and made his arrangements. The Passover had been celebrated. That conversation about one of you is going to betray me, that's already taken place. And so now, I remember when they left and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, a conversation takes place while they're walking to the garden between Peter and Jesus. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before morning. You're going to deny me three times before morning. And Peter, of course, insists it's not going to happen. Like, listen, you know, like, not me, no way, not going to happen. And they end that conversation. And in a few hours, we see them in the garden. 
Judas kisses Jesus and Jesus is arrested. And that's where we pick up the story in Matthew 26, 69 through 75. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So we see Peter sitting outside the courtyard of the council, I'm sure contemplating and uh, feeling the, the moment of what had just taken place and he's trying to make sense of it and process it. I'm sure it's a mixture of fear, misunderstanding, frustration and confusion. And then we see this young girl run up and say, hey, you were with Jesus. To which he says, whoa, whoa, I don't even, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And then we see this other girl walk up and say, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure you were with him. And he's like, look, I don't even know the guy. I don't even know him. And then we see this, this third group walk up, these bystanders. They come up and they say, no, like, I'm pretty sure that you were with him. Listen to your accent. Your accent gives you away. And then he proceeds to say what I always believe to be, I don't bleep and know the man. When it says he invoked a curse on himself. But what he's actually saying is, I'm telling the truth. And if I'm not, God can strike me down if I'm lying. And so Peter was very serious. He was very serious. Then the rooster crows. It's morning, the sun starts to come up. And immediately we see this wave of regret and guilt and shame wash over Peter. Can you imagine? I mean, Peter's thinking, listen, I can't, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I would put the hot sauce on the gourmet meal. I can't believe I would do such a thing. And he's been walking with Judas for three years and he sees him betray the guy he's been following for the three years. Then he sees Jesus get taken into custody and now at even Jesus' lowest point in his life, Peter denies him. But there is hope because this story does not end like the story of Judas. So let's jump to the book of John. So this is John chapter 21. Uh, Keep in mind that even though John may come later in your table of contents, does not mean it came later in time, okay? So Matthew is at the beginning, John's uh, your, your last gospel, but they're happening like this. They're happening together, okay? So this is the same account or a different account of the same events, but John just gives you a deeper look into Peter's life. So after, uh, after Peter denies Jesus, Jesus ends up going to trial and he's sent off to be crucified, And Peter watches Jesus die, and we see the veil tear, we see the ground shake, we see the sky go dark, we see dead people come out of the ground, and then Jesus is buried. And then after three days of what seemed hopeless, three days of regret, three days of confusion, three days of mourning, three days of regret for Peter, we see the finale of the greatest event in the history of mankind take place, the resurrection. Jesus comes back to life. He resurrects, and in John 21, we see this resurrected Jesus appear to the disciples for the first time. 
And a group of the disciples, including Peter, they went fishing on that third day. And while they're out on the boat, we see something incredible happen. So this is John 21, verse 4. So it says this. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. So at this moment, we we see them out on the boat. And I've always said, what do you call Peter, James, and John on a boat? Discipleship. Anybody? Okay. So we see them out on the boat. And they see this man out on the shore. And they don't know that it's Jesus. And Jesus calls out to them. He's like, hey, have you caught anything? And they're like, no, we haven't. And he's like, well, try throwing your net on the other side. And so they do that. And they actually catch some fish, a lot of fish. And then at this point, John realizes who it is. And he looks to Peter. And he's like, Peter, it's Jesus. Now keep in mind. Peter is filled with regret. He is filled with shame. He has just watched the guy who he's followed for three years as Lord and Savior. He's seen him die, and he doesn't know yet that he's been resurrected. And so when he sees Jesus, what does he do? He has an amazing reaction. And let's read in John 21, 7 and 8, see what he does. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish, for they are not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And so Peter sees Jesus and he jumps out of the boat. He starts swimming to Jesus. He literally drops everything and takes off after Jesus. This Peter that's filled with regret, that's filled with these things where he's like, I cannot believe I did that. When he saw Jesus, all of a sudden that didn't matter anymore. He jumps out of the boat and he starts swimming about 100 yards to shore to see Jesus. And so tonight, if you're in here and you're bogged down with regret, and you're carrying around the weight of past sin, past mistakes, past, past issues, look at the example of Peter. When you feel regret, run to Jesus. When you feel regret, run to Jesus. And I love that Peter didn't hesitate in doing so. That there was no fear of him getting there and Jesus being like, yeah, it's good to see you and all, but what the heck, man? No, there was none of that. There was no hesitation. There was no fear. And guess what? Jesus didn't do that. He didn't do it to Peter and he's not going to do it to you and me. Jesus is on the shore for you. No matter the significance of your sin, no matter the weight of your past mistakes, no matter what you feel inside about what you did that day or that year, no matter what. Jesus is on the shore for you. So look out, look forward, see him, and take off after him. Jesus is on the shore for you. And so maybe it's time to stop beating yourself up with the regret and the past mistakes and start jumping out of the boat and start swimming. It's time to take off after Jesus. Maybe it's time to let go of the regret. Maybe it's time to let go of what's what's behind you because what's in front of you is so incredible that it makes everything else look meaningless. You know what Emily and I did after we poured that hot sauce on the gourmet meal? Paid for it, said it is what it is. Then we went to In-N-Out and we got fries and milkshakes and it was an incredible night. So when it comes to regret, when it comes to these things, sometimes you just got to face it, say, man, it is what it is, then move forward. Start moving towards Jesus. Drop the regret, jump out of the boat, 
start making your way to Jesus. And I love that Peter's regret didn't make him sink. Jumped out of the boat, and he made it to the shore. Sometimes it may not weigh as heavy as you think. Tonight we have discussed the two halves of regret. What I did, what I didn't do. What I did, what I didn't do. And to review, if you regret a missed opportunity in life or to be used by God, we learn from Philippians and from Paul that if it lies ahead, let it lie there. If it lies behind, let it die there. And if you regret a past sin or a past mistake, don't follow the example of Judas and let it destroy you. Instead, follow the example of Peter and let that regret dissolve inside the presence of Jesus. And in conclusion tonight, after talking about these two halves of what I did, what I didn't do, I thought I should finish with this. And so in the midst of worrying about what I did and what I didn't do, maybe it's time to start worrying about what I am going to do. What I am going to do. When I'm faced with regret, I am going to be humble and face it. When I'm faced with the weight of sin, I'm going to let it die behind me. When I'm faced with an I can't believe I did that moment or feeling, I'm going to run to Jesus and let his blood wash it away. So tonight as we respond, uh, this may be a jumping out of the boat moment for you. This may be a chance for you to sit and process whatever the Lord is speaking to you. This may be a chance for you to stand and sing in celebration of being freed from regret. I have a feeling that many of us in here tonight are struggling with Many of us are struggling with issues from our past. Scars, abuse, sins, mistakes. And God is telling you, let it die. Let it die. Come into his presence tonight. Let his grace wash it away. That's what I encourage you to do tonight. Put your eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes on the cross. Forgetting what lies behind. Moving forward to what lies ahead. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and talk about your word, sing songs about you and to you. And God, you are just so good. And we thank you that you are on the shore for us. And when we're ready to jump out of the boat, when we were ready to set our eyes on you and not what's in our past, God, that your grace would wash away all the feelings of regret, all the feelings of shame and guilt. And God, that your cross will be what we keep our eyes on for our lifetime. So God, I pray over the people here tonight that we would forget what lies behind and that we would strain forward to what lies ahead, knowing that the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus is the one worth living for. In Jesus' name, amen.